Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab in the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose. Apologies for getting this out a little bit late. I totally lost my voice on Tuesday. I don't know if it's because of all the smog or if it's from allergies. You can probably tell I still sound a little bit hoarse. Uh, But anyways, this is the fourth installment of my eight-part series on the Beatitudes for Online Engagement. You can also read these reflections over at maryrosedep.substack.com. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at the Crab and the Cross podcast, on Twitter at Mary Rose Depp. And you can support me either through Substack or through Spotify. There is a link to support in the description of this show. Okay, and here is my next reflection. I'm going to be talking about the Beatitude, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. From the outside, the Hart family looked like the portrait of progressive perfection. Jennifer and her wife, Sarah, a white couple, adopted six African-American children from the foster care system. Jennifer was the spokesperson for the family and regularly posted on social media photos of her children playing outdoors, wearing matching clothes, and dancing at music festivals. Lengthy narrations of their adventures were accompanied by toothy grins from her adorable brood. Her son, Devante, who often toted a free hug sign, was even famously photographed embracing a police officer at a protest over the killing of Michael Brown. But off camera, there were signs of abuse. Hunger, bruises, reticence to return home from school. There were even a few visits from CPS, but the mothers always had an alibi. The decision to homeschool their children and to bounce around the country also helped lose the scent of suspicion. Both women were estranged from their own families, and so there were very few people checking in on the Hart children. In March of 2018, Jennifer did the unthinkable. She drove a van carrying her entire family off a cliff in California. No one survived. The coroner's journey unanimously ruled the tragedy a murder-suicide. Amanda C. Riley was just 27 years old when she revealed in a blog post that she had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. The next seven years included multiple bouts of remission and recurrence, two miracle babies, and thousands of dollars in medical bills. At one point, her cancer returned as stage four, and she was given months to live. Amanda spoke frequently at her church about her unwavering faith in God despite her diagnosis. Thanks to her resilient spirit and regular blogging, she was able to raise over $100,000 for treatment. Her community rallied around her, and her church covered her in prayer. The movement was united under the hashtag Team Amanda. There was just one problem. Amanda didn't actually have cancer. In 2022, she was sentenced to five years in prison for financial fraud. She and her husband knowingly deceived their family, friends, community, and internet followers for money, sympathy, and VIP experiences. These two stories reveal the depth of deception lurking beneath the masks of curated morality. Those who read Jennifer's words or heard Amanda speak, believed them. Not only because they looked the part, but because why wouldn't you? Why would an abusive mother dedicate her social media to praising her kids? Why would a Christian family lie about having cancer? Why would someone go through the hassle of adopting six foster children only to kill them? Why would someone shave their head and write detailed accounts of medical treatment they never received? 
the payout doesn't seem worth it financially or socially. We know that social media is a highlight reel. We know that people use Facetune filters and just plain good lighting to appear more attractive. We know that most candid photos were taken 20 times before they were perfectly imperfect. We know that reality TV is scripted and Super Bowl performers lip sync. We all say we want authenticity, but deep down, we know that real people are not nearly as witty or sexy as they appear on screen. So we are generally content to exchange our suspension of disbelief for entertainment. We want to be dazzled, but not deceived. Jennifer Hart and Amanda Riley did not merely present prettier pictures or embellished narratives. They were complete frauds, wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus teaches in the fourth beatitude, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jennifer and Amanda knew what righteousness looked like, giving six children a loving home, giving glory to God in trial, but neither hungered or thirsted for righteousness. Hunger and thirst are desires we feel within our own bodies. The longer we neglect them, the stronger they become. If we do not satiate these desires in a timely manner, we will die. We also cannot experience hunger and thirst on behalf of someone else. We can empathize with someone's hunger, and that empathy often leads to charity, but we cannot feel someone's hunger in our own bodies. When Jesus says we must hunger and thirst for righteousness, he doesn't mean that we must long for a just society. John Lennon was not preaching the Beatitudes when he sang about the brotherhood of man. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means to pursue one's own virtue. This is not selfish. What do you call someone who mourns over the sins of others but not his own? A hypocrite. I suppose the first lesson here is not to trust what you see online. I don't think most people are as duplicitous as these women, but certainly there are others out there cosplaying as perfect people. I spoke in my first post about the spirit of comparison. How sad that many of the ideals we compare ourselves to don't even exist. But the deeper lesson is this. We must pursue our own righteousness with the same regularity and urgency with which we resolve our own hunger and thirst. Everything Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount was about how to conform our inner life to our outer life. Do you pray fast and give alms? Good. Now do it in secret so that no one can praise you for it. Have you refrained from murder and adultery? Good. Now rid yourself from hidden anger and lust. Do you love your neighbors? Good. Now love your enemies. Like the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jennifer and Amanda mastered the outward appearance of morality. They even managed to speak effusively, always humbled by any praise they received. But inside, they were filled with corpses. The internet has become a place for virtue signaling. In some circles, it's the dues paid to stay relevant. In those of the left, that might mean pronouns in your bio and using the proper hashtags and flags to promote the current thing. For those on the right, that might mean a Bible verse in your bio or mocking the depravity of the left. Jesus says that when we perform good deeds so that others may see them, we have received our reward. But on the internet, you don't actually have to perform good deeds to receive praise at all. You just have to signal that you're a good person. At least the Pharisees and Sadducees actually gave alms and performed fasts. I wrote last week about the virtue of meekness. It is possible to be kind on the internet. The government is watching. 
but so is God. And he said that on the day of judgment, we will render account for every careless word we utter. That's a chilling reminder. But the internet is still a tiny sliver of the moral sphere. It's also full of people ready to pounce on our every indiscretion. But I dare say that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness view themselves with far more scrutiny. I'll close this section with a few questions to ask yourself. Think of it as an examination of conscience. And please know that I'll be asking myself these questions too. Number one, does the person I present online accurately reflect my appearance, attributes, and lifestyles? Two, is it necessary for me to share my good works online? Three, do I only perform good works for content or do I also perform them when no one is watching? Four, Am I working towards justice or merely reposting content that advocates for justice? Five, do I know the full context of the Bible verses I share online? Do I read the Bible privately too? Six, in calling out the speck in my neighbor's eye, am I neglecting the log in my own? Seven, am I raising awareness about a real issue or am I turning the focus on myself? And eight, does what I'm saying need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? And is this something that needs to be said publicly? If you're interested in learning more about the story of Jennifer Hart and the tragic death of her family, check out the podcast Broken Hearts. There's a link in the description. If you want to hear more about the story of Amanda Riley and her fraudulent cancer claims, there's a podcast that's currently being released. It's called Scamanda, and there's also a link in the description. Thanks for listening.